thin place. Kind of a weird name for a series. Uh, if you don't know what a thin place is, uh, kind of sounds like a grocery store for skinny people or something like that. Like we only sell kale here, I'm sorry. Um, but the concept is actually much deeper than that. Uh, we're gonna have to twist the concept just a little bit, but uh, we can use it. So check out this. This is what a thin place is. Uh, in Celtic tradition, heaven and earth are only three feet apart. Now, this is Celtic tradition. They say that heaven and earth are, are three feet apart. But in certain geographical areas on the earth, uh, that space is thinner. So uh, they have certain areas on the planet where uh, it's not three feet, it's, it's much less than that, and they call that a thin place, a thin place. And evidently, what they believe is that in those places, uh, you are able to connect with God, like on a deeper level, level you're able to hear from God more, you're able to uh, get you know, guidance and direction from him and kind of feel his presence more powerfully in these thin places. That's what they believe. Now, uh, I want to show you a couple of them. I guess this isn't working either, so you'll have to look up there. Uh, here's one of them. This is called, uh, well, this is the view from the top of a mountain called Crowpatrick, and this is in Ireland. So if you ever get to Ireland, this is, seems like a pretty sweet place uh, to go. And they believe that at the top of this mountain, that space between heaven and earth is thinner. And it's not hard to see why. That's a gorgeous, gorgeous view. One more place is called the Isle of Iona. And this is what that looks like. And again, it's not hard to see why somebody might say, you know what, I feel like heaven's a little closer here uh, than anywhere else. So those are just two examples of places um, that Celtic tradition would say, hey, the space between heaven and earth is thinner. Now, here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that heaven and earth are three feet apart. Nowhere does it say that. And on top of that, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that there are certain places where that space is thinner. It's not in there. Um, so as much as I would love for this to be true, uh, it's not in the Bible. So like there's no verse that says, hey, heaven and earth are three feet apart and in certain places it's closer. There's no verse in there. So you'd have to look at examples, right? Like how people connect with God in the Bible, the places that they connect with God in the Bible. So if you start to look at examples, you can kind of find stuff. I mean, if you were trying to support the idea that there's a such thing as a thin place, um, like I'd go with Mount Sinai, right? As one of them, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, I'd go with Mount Sinai as being a thin place. Like, man, God kind of like steps down onto the earth on Mount Sinai. I would say heaven and earth, uh, kind of meet at Mount Sinai if you're trying to support this idea. Um, another place called Bethel. I don't know if you heard of Bethel in the Old Testament. A Jacob, a character named Jacob, kind of meets God at this place called Bethel. So if you wanted to say, man, I feel like heaven and earth meet uh, at Bethel. And then you could also say, hey, the temple, like the temple in the Old Testament. It's hard to argue against that, that God shows up in a special way at the temple, that heaven and earth meet at the temple. However, if you're looking at places where God shows up, if you're looking at places where like heaven and earth meet, um, those like special places are kind of the exception, not the rule. More often than not, God shows up in unexpected places. 
God showed up to Gideon at the bottom of a wine press <laughs> and he wasn't using it to press wine. He was using it to thresh wheat because he was scared of his enemies. And God showed up in the bottom of this thing while Gideon was hiding from his enemies. Heaven and earth met at the bottom of a wine press. Abraham, God met Abraham at like the edge of the woods in his backyard. Like it was nothing special about it at all. God just shows up and heaven and earth meet like in Abraham's backyard, basically. God met Paul in a prison cell. In a dark, wet, smelly prison cell, heaven and earth met. And then this one time, you might have heard of this before, God showed up in a manger, right? In a barn. Uh, heaven and earth met in that, uh, in that barn. And maybe more accurately, you could say that heaven kind of invaded earth at that point. So if you look in the Bible, if you're looking for like examples of thin places, it's really hard to say that, that God only shows up in certain geographical locations or that it's easier to connect with God in certain geographical locations. It seems like God shows up wherever he wants, whenever he wants. That there's no specific place where people meet God. The places have no particular significance. They're not that special. They're not thin. But God met these people in these places. Now, part of me wishes this were true. Wouldn't it be awesome if all it took to connect with God, if, all, if you're needing direction in your life or feeling like you needed God's presence in your life, if all it would take is a plane ticket to Ireland and a walk on the beach, wouldn't that be awesome? I'd be going on some ministry trips, okay? I'd be taking my swim trunks with me, but I'd be like, okay, guys, I gotta go connect with God. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And you wouldn't be able to say anything about it because it's a totally valid reason for me to leave, right? Um, but that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. More often than not, God shows up in unexpected places. I mean, what about here? What about here? This is supposed to be a thin place for us, right? We're supposed to be able to connect with God in church, maybe better than other places. But it isn't about the location, is it? This is a high school auditorium. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> they, they do plays. That's why this looks like this. They do plays here. They put on choir concerts. But on Sunday, something happens, right? For 20 hours and, or for six days and 20 hours a week, this is just a room. You know, this is where high school kids are. But on Sundays, something happens. Like, you probably have had an encounter with God in this room if you've gone for this church for any amount of time at all. Me, I have, right over here on side stage, I've prayed some of the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed. I've felt God's presence right over here as you guys are singing, I'm praying for you and, and for God to move. And I've, had, I've felt God's presence right over there in an incredibly powerful, play, powerful way. But side stage isn't, isn't thin, right? And it's nothing special about that. More often than not, there's like tuba players goofing off over there than, than me uh, praying and having spiritual moment with God. So it's not about the location. It's what happens at the location that makes it thin, right? So it's not, a, it's not a physical location. It's not a geographical location that says I'm able to connect with God better. It's about what happens at those locations. So how, how do you make a place a thin place? Or maybe to ask it a different way, like how can we connect with God? How can we create thin places in our lives, so to speak? That's what we want to talk about in this series. Different ways that we can intentionally connect with God. Different ways that we can create those thin places. And I want to talk about one today that's a little bit unexpected. Um, 
one that's, uh, I think once I say it, you might laugh at me, although you guys are a little dead this morning. You guys need to pick it up. Is it too much turkey? Is that what it is? You guys are eating turkey all week long and now you're a little tired. It's okay. Um, funny we should mention food because uh, the thing, the, the way I want to talk about that you can connect with God is through food. Food. Now, uh, <laughs> when we were playing in the series, Jonathan kept arguing with me. He's like, you cannot preach on food the week after Thanksgiving. I'm like, dude, that's the perfect week to preach on food. Everybody is so into it this week. Um, so I believe you probably connected with God through food this week, probably better than you do almost every other week of your life. Um, so what, are we, what I want to talk about today is I, I believe you can connect with God through eating and I believe you can connect with God through not eating. Both of those things are true. Um, connecting with God through fasting and through feasting. Uh, I want to talk about how you can create a thin place at your dinner table. Um, how you can create a thin place with an empty stomach. Um, now, before I pray and we jump into that, uh, does that seem shallow? <laughs> We're going to talk about food in church, really? I came to church to talk about food. Listen, if you wanted some mystical experience, some walk up Crow's Patrick mountain to encounter God, well, um, that's not this week. Maybe we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But think about this. You eat more than anything else, right? You eat three times a day, at least. Some of you eat way more than that, right? If I'm saying that you can maybe possibly connect with God in that time, that built into your daily routine is already something that is going to consistently happen, that if in those things you can in some way connect with God, isn't that an important thing? So, so maybe this isn't some shallow thing. Maybe this is one of those things that God put into your life on purpose so that you could actually have an spiritual encounter with him every single day, multiple times a day on purpose. So maybe this is a more important subject than we think. Food. All right. Pray, and let's talk about how you can connect with God through food. Jesus, uh, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for uh, what you've already done here, Lord. I've been able to sing uh, to you, about you, to be able to worship you this morning, Lord. I thank you so much for that. Um, I pray for this room, Lord, that uh, as we think about eating, which seems so not spiritual, that... Uh, you would speak to our hearts and help us to draw close to you in that. And Lord, help us, uh, open us up to, to being able to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so let me ask you guys this. Um, which one seems more spiritual? Like genuinely, uh, you really feel like it's more spiritual to uh, feast or fast. Which one to you seems more like spiritual? Who's on team feasting? like five of you. Okay. I want to eat dinner with y'all. Okay. I want to eat dinner with y'all. So the rest of you then you're on team fasting. Fasting seems more spiritual. Okay. We're going to rewind. Y'all didn't raise your hand and I'm a little offended. So if you think fasting is more spiritual, you're on team fasting. Okay. Thank you. Gosh, I know it was obvious, but you still got to like give me something here. Um, so fasting seems more spiritual than feasting, right? Typically that's the case, right? When you just look at it on the surface, Taking time, like a set amount of time to not eat in order to connect with God seems more spiritual than stuffing your face, right? It just does. It just does. So um, I get that. However, did you know that in the Old Testament, God commanded the people of Israel, um, like consistently commanded the people of Israel uh, every year to fast only one time a year? 
Did you know that? Just one time a year. But he commanded the people of Israel to feast 20 times a year. 20. So, so fasting happened one time a year, built into their, their like yearly calendar, one time a year, and then feasting, it was 20. Now, if you think that fasting is more spiritual than feasting, what do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that God commanded them to eat, to eat well 20 times a year, but he only commanded them to fast one time a year? What do you do with that? Because you would expect if fasting is more spiritual, that, that it would maybe be weighted the other way, right? That you'd be, feast, or you'd be fasting 20 times and only feasting one. So what does that mean? Maybe, maybe feasting, eating is more spiritual than we realize. Now, we have to acknowledge that it doesn't feel spiritual, right? I don't know that you all had spiritual experiences on Thursday. Did you have a spiritual experience on Thursday? Maybe not the kind you think about when you think about spiritual experiences. Um, But why? Why didn't we? If God commanded the people of Israel to feast like 20 times a year, and there's something spiritual about it, why don't we feel spiritual? So to answer that question, we've got to look at a very important verse when it comes to food, uh, verses 1 Corinthians 10, 31, uh, and the verse says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all for the glory of God. So what we see in this verse is that you can actually eat for the glory of God. Amen. That's a good thing, right? You can actually eat for the glory of God. That something spiritual can happen when you are putting food into your mouth. But since he's telling us to do it, this is an important thing. He's telling us to do it. You only would tell somebody to do something if they might not do it, right? Like the Bible doesn't say, hey, don't forget to breathe. You already remember that. That's not a thing that the Bible has to tell you to do. The Bible only tells you to do things that you might not do, which means that you can either eat or you can eat for the glory of God. That you have kind of two options when you sit down at the dinner table. It can either be just eating or it can be eating to the glory of God. And I think the difference between the two, the difference between just eating and eating to the glory of God is the difference between just eating and eating being a thin place in your life. A thin place, a place where you could actually connect with God, a place where you could actually have like a spiritual experience, a spiritual encounter with God at that dinner table. I am personally so happy that my TV just came on and it stopped blinking blue. Aren't you guys happy? Y'all were staring at the blue screen, not listening to anything I just said, weren't you? <laughs> should, I, should I restart? Like, no, don't, man. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Um, so you can either eat or eat to the glory of God. So uh, let's talk about, I have, a, I have a theory as to why maybe you don't eat for the glory of God very often in your life. I have a theory. Uh, it's because you have attached to eating guilt. You feel guilty eating sometimes. Um, like some of you on Thursday, when you ate Thanksgiving dinner and you had to like actually unbutton your pants, like because you physically could not put more food into your stomach, you felt guilty. You felt guilty for that. There's this weird like shame attached to it. And something's happened in our culture, right? Why, why does our culture call feast days cheat days? Isn't that weird? Like, oh, it's because you're cheating on your diet. But it, it, it causes us to associate eating with like a weird guilty feeling, a weird like shameful thing, like you're doing something you're not really supposed to do. 
So that, that feeling of guilt, that feeling of shame that we've attached to eating kind of now prevents us from being able to eat the glory of God. And one of the reasons you have this guilty feeling isn't just that our culture has created that, but it's also this word, gluttony. Gluttony. It's an ugly word, isn't it? In church tradition, Catholic church tradition, this is one of the seven deadly sins. Um, like it's a big deal, basically. This is a killer sin here. And the Bible does say that gluttony is a sin. It's not just Catholic tradition. The Bible does talk about gluttony. You're not supposed to be a glutton. Gluttony is a sin. It is. Which immediately we have to ask the question then, what is it? What is gluttony? Right? Most people would say that gluttony is just eating too much. Right? That, that's generally what, like if you just were pressed, like, hey, what's gluttony? You had to answer, you'd be like, oh, just eating too much. Right? Like the definition of gluttony is just overeating, which means Thursday, every single one of us (laughs) committed gluttony, right? Every single one of us. We all were sinners on Thursday. Um, So I followed this guy on Twitter uh, named Ed Stetzer. He's got a Christian leader kind of in America, Um, but he tries not to be like a total like stick in the mud kind of guy. He tries to tweet funny things sometimes too. And uh, he posted this on Thanksgiving. Uh, getting out my stretchy pants for tomorrow. And that's a, it was actually a gif of uh, Jack Black stretching. It was awesome. Um, Just joking with the Twitter world about wearing stretchy pants to eat. And uh, he's got hundreds of thousands of followers. And of course, one of the Christian people who follow him decided to tweet back at him, (laughs) gluttony's a sin. (laughs) Like, thanks, man. You must be fun at parties. Got to Jesus juke the excitement for Thanksgiving. Don't forget not to sin when you sit down to eat your turkey. Um, but, but is that, is, is eating on Thanksgiving to the point where you're like too full? Is that what gluttony is? Because if that's the definition that you have for it in your head, I want to ask like, where'd you get it? Because where, where in the Bible does it say that it's that? I don't find it in there. So if you think that gluttony is simply just sitting down and overeating, um, I would ask, why then did God command Israel to feast 20 times a year? That's a weird thing for you to command somebody to do if, 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 if they're not supposed to eat too much in one sitting, but by the way, 20 times a year, you're going to sit down and you're going to feast. Isn't he kind of setting them up to fail there? Typically, God doesn't command us to do things that are against rules. And by the way, it's not just feasting. Like To give you an example, when they would make a sacrifice, at least somewhat familiar with the Old Testament sacrifices, um, they would like sacrifice an entire animal, like a goat or a bull. And according to the law, like the, the law that God gave them, they had to eat that animal in the next like one to two days, or then they had to destroy it. So their, their, their family didn't have to knock down a turkey in a day. They had to knock out a, a goat, okay, or a bull, all right? In, in, a, in a couple of days, they had to knock that whole thing out. So they were eating a lot during these times, and God commanded them to. So to define gluttony as simply sitting down to eat a lot, I don't think that's the right definition. Here's where I would look to find the definition of gluttony. Philippians 3.19. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. I put the definition of gluttony right here in the middle of this verse. Their God is their appetite. Gluttony is not 
when you sit down and eat a whole bunch in one sitting. Gluttony is when you make your stomach your God. Gluttony is when you you look to physical things to solve spiritual problems. When you uh, are looking in your refrigerator for something that your soul needs. You know what I mean? When, When you need something spiritually and you look to food instead of looking to God. Gluttony is when you take your depression to the bottom of that ice cream carton. Gluttony is when you take your frustration to the bottom of that Dorito bag. Gluttony is when you take your fear to the empty pizza box. That is gluttony. When you look to food, when you should be looking to God, when you use food to cope instead of praying and intentionally pressing into God. It's when you're asking food to do something in your soul that only God can do. That is gluttony. So good news. I don't think any of y'all committed gluttony on Thanksgiving. Yay, you're off the hook for that. Bad news. You may well commit it every single Monday when you get home from work and you stress eat. You might. And I think, man, this is where I really, when you just say, oh, we're going to talk about connecting with God through food. Oh, it sounds shallow. But you know it's spiritual, right? Why do you, why do you get hungry when you're stressed out? That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, what, is, what do your emotions have to do with food? Nothing but a lot, Right? And I think food, in some ways, can be just as spiritually dangerous as like drugs and alcohol. In some ways, food is harder, right? You can quit alcohol, you can quit drugs, but you can't quit eating, <laughs> right? I'm done. Hi, my name's Adam. It's been like 30 minutes since I ate. Hi, Adam. Like that, you can't do that, right? You can't, you can't go, you can't just quit. Um, Now, alcohol, obviously, and drugs have uh, explosively damaging potential in your life that food doesn't have. But I think food is more likely to have a hold of your whole life because you can't stop. You're going to have to eat. So so, (laughs) instead of looking to food for that spiritual thing, you need to look look to God, but you can't stop eating. So you're going to have to figure out a way to make food just food and to find the thing you need in your soul in God. It's just a little harder. It's just a little harder. And you can't glorify God while you eat if you're looking to eating to fill the thing in your soul that God's supposed to fill, right? You can't um, worship God while committing idolatry at the same time, right? You, you can't um, connect with God at the dinner table if you're replacing God with the dinner table, right? It's an impossible thing to do. So uh, maybe gluttony is like the thing that's hindering your ability to connect with God through food. Maybe gluttony is the thing that's preventing glut, uh, eating from being a thin place in your life. So some of you in this room, maybe you struggle with this. And I think what you have to do is you really have to think about, you really have to pray about how you can start going to God instead of going to food. Um, Like, how can you find what you need on like a soul level in your relationship with God and just let food be food? Um, Maybe, and and I don't know, maybe you need somebody to help you with that. Like, maybe you need to like, you know, the alcoholic will call uh, somebody if they're walking by a bar. Maybe you need to call somebody when you're walking by the refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? Like, legitimately, maybe you need somebody to like help keep you accountable and say, man, I'm using food for spiritual things that I'm not supposed to be and need some help in that. And uh, by the way, just a little side note, I am 100% positive that this has nothing to do with your waistline at all. 
Um, I think sometimes fit people are more obsessed with food than, than not fit people, just so you know. Uh, if you talk to fit people, they'll talk about food more than, 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 than not fit people, just so you know. So actually, they're probably in, at more of a risk of using food as a God than somebody who's not fit, just so you know. Um, so you're not off the hook if you do CrossFit. You're probably on the hook, just so you know. So don't, like... If you want to connect with God through food, if you want to have a, uh, your dinner table be a thin place, you're going to have to make sure that food is food and God is God. That's the first thing. So if you ask me, okay, you know, check, I'll work on that. What then? How, how can my dinner table be a thin place in my life? How can I actually connect with God when I sit down to eat in the evening? So here's what I think this would look like. It it has a lot to do with the word gratitude, right? And you probably already knew that you needed to be grateful for the food that you have in your life. And maybe that's part of our culture's problem with this because we don't, we kind of take food for granted because of course you're going to eat. You're going to eat as many times a day as you want um, in cultures where food isn't as prevalent. This is a lot easier to be grateful for it (laughs) because if you have it and you're not, you weren't sure that you were going to have it, it's easy to be grateful for. But we kind of take it for granted. You leave here and immediately eat anywhere you want. But you need to be grateful for the food that you have. That's your step one. That's why I think you probably did a decent job of it this week because you were supposed to be grateful and hopefully you were. So you're you're thankful to God for the food that's on the table that he provides that he's good. Um, and, And I don't think this just happens at a prayer before the meal. You know what I'm saying? Dear Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. Shut up. I do, by the way, appreciate people who pray quick right before eating. I think people who pray long before eating have something wrong with them. Uh, they're trying to show off spiritually when everybody else is hungry and just, it just internally everybody's saying, shut up, shut up, shut up, but they won't. So I do think, I really do appreciate the short prayers there. Um, but I, I get maybe what the spiritual person is trying to do, right? They're trying to like direct your hearts upward when you're just like, dude, I want to eat. And see what I think, maybe it's a, mis, a misunderstanding of what it means to connect with God. Because I'll tell you what, I pray more sincere prayers after the first bite than before the first bite. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus, with a full mouth. So maybe we should, maybe we should change our, our tradition. Stop praying before the meal. Start praying after the first bite. I bet you you'd get some more sincere prayers there. For me, that's where it happens, man. I'm able to really pray a heartfelt prayer when I've got that first bite in my mouth. And it doesn't stop there. It's not just the first bite, by the way. To make the dinner table a thin place, you don't just pray and then eat. You have to eat with like an awareness of God. Your enjoyment of food cannot terminate on the food itself. So for example, if you're eating, you're not just enjoying the food. Usually if you really enjoyed it and you're like sitting with the person who made it, you will say something to the person who made it. Hey, this stuffing is awesome, right? And then, but you don't stop there. If you really want to connect with God, you don't just stop at the food and you don't just stop at the person who made the food. You stop at the one who created the food, right? That's where you really get to. And you actually enjoy food kind of like in the presence of God. It's a spiritual experience. If you eat that way, you allow your enjoyment of the food to roll past the food and to the one who created the food. I mean, how about the fact that God created Turkey, right? Like Turkey. Can you imagine back in the beginning, the very, very beginning, when God's creating all the things and there's these fat birds that cannot fly walking around and the angel's like, hey God, um, not to critique, 
but those birds don't make any sense, right? They don't fly. They have wings. What are you doing? And God's like, oh man, you have no idea. (laughs) Four hours in the oven. An oven they're going to create in about 2,000 years. Anyways, four hours in the oven. This thing's going to be amazing. And check this out. That plant over there is called gray, and they're going to make something called bread, and they're going to take this bread, and they're going to stick it up this turkey's butt, and they're going to then cook it. (laughs) for four hours, and that stuff inside of there is going to be some of the best things that the humans can eat ever. Can you imagine the angels going, that sounds wrong. I don't <laughs> if you say so, God. And then, but like, don't you see, like, this is where I, you have to, like, use your imagination to imagine, like, this is the God we have, that he, like, walking around creation going, oh, I'm going to make this, this, this plant here, it's going to be the sugar cane, and this, this thing over here is going to be the, the cocoa bean, and when these two things find their way to each other, some of the heaven and earth are going to meet right there, right? Like walking around like this is the potato. They're going to be able to do literally everything with this. They can make any side they ever want right here. I mean, can you imagine like God getting passionate about the different things that he was creating, that the different tastes that were going to come together? I can. And I can also imagine the angels going, what's that plant over there? And God be like, actually, I didn't create that plant. That's Satan's. It's called broccoli. And I don't know why that's there. (laughs) Strangely enough, can you imagine God like, they're actually going to eat it. I don't know why, but they are. It's not meant to be eaten. It's not. It's a weed. It's a weed. But see, for me, this is how you can, you can go from here to here with eating when you realize that the God who created everything, the God who created like the systems of the universe and the and fission and fusion and all these science things also like had his mind way down here in the details thinking, oh man, I'm going to create this one like this because it's going to taste like this. I'm going to create this over here and it'll taste like this. And when they come together, man, it's going to be amazing. Like a God who's that attentive to detail that he cared about the taste that we were going to experience in this life. See, if your enjoyment doesn't terminate on the food, but rolls past the food to enjoyment of your creator, you just created a thin place. You're actually able to enjoy your God while you're enjoying your food. I feel like that was the way it was created in the first place. Can't you just imagine Adam and Eve running around the garden going, man, let me taste this fruit. God, that's so amazing. How did you do that? Like that was the thing that was supposed to happen in the beginning. And I think we can still have that kind of an experience now if we, we eat with an awareness of God. Food can be a thin place. Except broccoli can't be a thin place. That's of the devil. All right. We got to switch gears. I'm going to just make a hard turn here. We don't have time to take this one. Uh, We're going to switch gears from eating to not eating. So we just had the fun. Now we get to have the not fun. Um, So eating can be a thin place. Sometimes it takes intentionality, but it can be. And so can not eating. Fasting, right? Uh, when, we, when we intentionally do not eat for a set amount of time for the purpose of praying and focusing on God, we create a thin place. Now, this one's more obvious, right? This, like we already kind of talked about, this one seems more spiritual. Um, and it's something that we are supposed to do as Christians. I don't know if you know that, but we're kind of like supposed to fast. Now, there's no command in the Bible that says you're supposed to fast this many times a year. Like I said, God had set one side of time for the people of Israel, but nowhere in the New Testament does it say like you're supposed to fast X amount of times a year. Um, however, at one point in Jesus' ministry, he did have like an encounter with some religious leaders and they were asking him about his disciples and why his disciples didn't fast. And this is what Jesus said back to them in Matthew chapter 19 or 9, verse 15. 
Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So while Jesus was on the earth with his disciples, they didn't fast. They didn't. And some people were noticing that. Hey, your disciples don't fast. Why don't they do that? And Jesus compared it to a wedding. He's like, hey, you don't fast during a wedding party. And that's what this is. While I'm here, they're at a wedding. But I'm going to go away and then they will. And Jesus is referring to his death, burial, resurrection, and then ascending to heaven, right? Jesus, the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to die on the cross uh, so that we could have a relationship with God so that we could be forgiven. And he's saying, hey, while I'm here, my disciples will eat. When I'm not here, they'll fast. They'll, they'll have times of fasting. And he just says it like that. They will. You know? It's very casual. And they will. He doesn't say how often. He doesn't say when. He just says that it's going to happen. He just kind of assumes that that's going to be a part of his disciples' life. So if you ask me the question, well, Adam, how, how often should a Christian fast? I don't know. <laughs> More than zero? Should be some kind of regular in your life? Um, I think that should be between you and God. You should be intentional about praying about how often God wants you to fast and what those fasts look like. Um, but while we have to acknowledge that eating can just be eating or eating can be a thin place, I think the same thing applies here, right? Not eating can just be not eating or not eating can be a thin place. It's not automatic that if you don't eat for a couple hours that you're going to worship God, right? Matter of fact, most of you have the opposite experience, right? When, when you don't eat for a while, you're kind of grumpy. And uh, you, don't you don't feel particularly close to God when you don't eat. So how can we make not eating a thin place? So I think part of our problem with when we think about fasting is that we think about it simply as, as taking something out of our lives. And, and we need to switch that idea with fasting and think about it more as replacing something. We're not just abstaining from food, we're replacing food with something else. So uh, a definition of fasting that would be helpful is uh, giving up a daily activity to focus on an eternal reality. Giving up a daily activity to focus on an eternal reality. It's not just about not eating, it's about making room in our souls for God to move. So you are replacing, you're, 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 you're uh, pulling something out in order to make room for something else. You're saying no to a weaker desire in order to say yes to a stronger desire. It's about saying no to what you want now in order to say yes to what you want most. So you're not just not eating. You're replacing food with uh, pursuing God. So if you don't turn your hunger pangs into prayers, you're not, you're not, you're, your fasting isn't a thin place. You're just not eating. You need to replace food, not just abstain from it. Look at what Jesus said while he was fasting. So Jesus fasted for 40 days, pretty impressive. Um, but he was Jesus, so I don't know that you should shoot for that. Um, but most of you know the story, pretty famous story. Satan came to try and tempt Jesus in the middle of this fast, towards the end of the fast, and uh, he tempted Jesus by asking Jesus, hey, turn these stones into bread. And here's how Jesus responds to Satan. He says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's an interesting response, right? I mean, what does that mean? You don't live by bread alone, you live by the word of God. I think what he's saying here is that he's saying no to a physical nourishment in order to say yes to a spiritual nourishment. Fasting was a spiritual discipline 
that involved an emptying, for sure. You're, you're emptying your physical stomach, but, but the emptying wasn't the point, right? You're emptying in order to fill with something else. You empty yourself of one thing in order to be filled with something else. So what if God created our need for food to remind us that we need him? Never thought, he didn't have to create us to need food. He could have created us to not need it. What if he created us to need food in order to remind us that we need him? You eat, and then a few hours later, you get hungry, right? What if our spiritual rhythms are the same? We just don't recognize it all the time. What if our souls use spiritual food as fast as our bodies use physical food? You ever thought about that? What if you get spiritually hungry as often as you get physically hungry? You just don't recognize it. What if, what if we're always starving spiritually because of the way we live our spiritual lives? We don't recognize it because we focus on our physical hunger and we miss that spiritual hunger. <laughs> we use food to try and solve the spiritual hunger and we shouldn't. And what if fasting, times where you say, you know what, I'm not going to eat for this amount of time. What if that helps us unearth a spiritual hunger? And just so you guys know, like, I don't know if you've ever fasted before. I have. Kind of often. Not as often as I probably should. Um, But I never, I mostly don't feel super spiritual. (laughs) When I'm fasting, fasting more feels like drudging something like, you know, sometimes in canals, they have to come out and, and drudge out the stuff to make room for the flow of, of water because over time it kind of builds up and eventually the, the canal is way more shallow than it's supposed to be. So they come and they drudge it out and they make it deep again. For me, that's what fasting feels like. It kind of muddies everything up. It kind of, it, it, I, I realize some things about myself that I don't like. And uh, I don't really always feel super close to God. But he usually uses it in ways that I wasn't aware of. And I, and I was close to him, even if I didn't necessarily feel it. Does that make sense? That's the way God's used fasting in my life. And I'm not saying that's for sure the way it'll be for you. Um, but I guess what I want to ask is like, what would it look like for you this week to say, you know what, I feasted last week. I'm going to fast this week. I'm going to put food aside for a period of time in order to focus on God. And every time I get hungry, I'm going to pray. And on my lunch break, instead of eating, I'm going to read my Bible. And I'm going to use this time to really intentionally try to connect with God. I'm going to replace my physical with spiritual. Every time something physical happens here, I'm going to respond with something spiritual. You're gonna, you, you, you would decide to empty in order to fill. Get rid of food to make room for spiritual nourishment. What would that look like for you this week? I think it'd be really good for you. You should totally do it. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or not eat, or not drink, do it for the glory of God. How long has it been since you really felt like you could connect with God? Like that whole Celtic tradition, heaven and earth are three feet apart. How long has it been since you felt close? Maybe for you, it doesn't feel like three feet. Maybe it feels like 30 feet. Maybe it feels like 300 feet. I don't know. Can I be sarcastic for a minute? What do you expect? If you're not intentional about your connection with God, what do you expect? Of course, life crowds God out. Of course it does. Of course, 
the white noise of the world drowns out God's voice. Of course it does. If you have not had any intentionality about your spiritual life, of course you feel far from him. So that's what these spiritual discipline type things are about. They're about being intentional and trying to, uh, for your part, connect with God, to, to make an effort to close the distance. So I guess uh, in this series, what I'm, what I'm hoping for you is that you will take these next couple of weeks and be intentional about your connection with God, not just here, but every day of your life. That you would take this like Christmas season that started with a bang here and we're gonna blink and it's gonna be Christmas and it's gonna be New Year's, that you would take this time and try, really try to connect with God during this crazy time. Make an intentional effort to press into God. And, and this week, do it through eating and not eating. Today, when you go out to lunch, because you're totally going to do that, and now you're weirdly hungry for turkey again already. I don't know how. Oh, it's because I talked about it. I talked about how awesome stuffing is, and that's why you're thinking about it again. But maybe lunch today could be a thin place. After that first bite, you start praying. You start thanking God for the flavors that he created. And maybe, maybe not Monday, because Monday's rough. You probably don't want to start fasting on Monday. You'll kill somebody. Maybe Tuesday. Maybe. That's the first day back from work, man. Come on. Well, take it easy. Maybe Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday this week. You say, you know what? I'm going to not eat this week. Or <laughs> this week. That's, that's later. That's spiritual. Like, that's like class 401. Let's go for just one day. Maybe you skip breakfast, you skip lunch. And you try to focus on your relationship with God for a day. I think it'd be worth it. And uh, for some of you, if it's been a long time since you've connected, maybe this is the time to start taking those steps. All right, let's pray.